there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. The doctor is not only in, but he'll be in San Diego with me, Dr. Tony Jimenez and others uh, at the Best Answer for Cancer. Dr. Vitar, looking forward, as a lot of people are, to meet you, shake your hand, give you a hug, and hopefully not ask you too many questions. I'm always open for <laughs> questions, Robert. It's You know, the thing is, for me, yes. I don't like talking to people mm-hmm. about what I do when they don't know what I do. In other words, when they have, they're curious, oh, what do you do? Or, right, for or, uh, they don't know where to even begin. Exactly. But for a person that really understands, um, I, it's a pleasure to talk with them. It kind of comes back to that quote in my book from Confucius that I have, for those who don't understand, no explanation is possible. For those who do understand, no explanation is necessary. Right. So sometimes when you engage in with a person that really doesn't understand these concepts and you try to explain to them, you almost seem like you're a religious zealot because you're trying to explain to them something that is against their belief system or they just don't have enough information to even have a belief system. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason I don't like to engage with people on this. If there's a group of doctors talking about something, I never participate in there because if i do i'm just going to tell them they're all idiots and they're <laughs> yeah and so uh so but basically and the people that do have an interest in this if they come up and they ask me for something i'm more than happy to spend any amount of time and explain that and that's why you've seen that even at the truth about cancer conference in right. dallas you saw the number of people uh i mean everybody had people out there but i think that dr um our friend, Dr. Roby Mitchell. Yes. Um, Roby and I, Roby came up to me, and the second and third day, he was with me the whole time, and he said, why are, why are there so many people around you mm-hmm. more than everybody else? And I said, because, Roby, I'm answering the questions, but I'm not answering the questions like a question. I'm challenging them to answer the questions. And Roby yes. actually ended up helping me. For, well, you saw it, Robert. Yeah, no, I, I saw it. It was great. I, I mean, I just smiled. I was just enjoying it. And and you're right. It's like what we do here is we challenge the audience to go deeper than you know just an answer to a question. You know, as we exactly as we right. as you know over the years doing the advanced medicine segments here each week on the Robert Scott Bell Show, it's like you're going to go over common ground. Uh, but if somebody has never been on this ground or doesn't remember ever being on it, then it's sort of like they almost don't know how to ask a question that will make sense any response you give them. So your best response in those cases is to ask a question and push back a little, not because you're being mean and nasty, but because our goal is not just to give you a pat answer, but it's to help you to find that answer so that it becomes you as opposed to something that you forget tomorrow. Exactly. That's exactly it. Because you know, even the slogan that we have, the power to heal is yours, that's the key point there, that the power to heal is yours. The power for you to have the answer actually is actually within yourself as well. Because when you start to understand that really all we're doing is getting out of the way and allowing the body's own innate intelligence to take over and that self-regulating, the self-healing mechanisms to kick back in because that's how the system is designed. It, it, it's truly designed that way. My success in clinical medicine, now we have patients from 85 countries. We've had all sorts of accolades, but the key to my success is I just get the hell out of the way. Mm. I, I consider myself nothing more than a glorified 
trash man. I think I'm a better <laughs> garbage man yes. than anybody else. That's why I can, cause I can, I'm pulling the garbage out of the body. Yes. That's all I'm trying to do. And typically you, you don't smell as bad as, as those that are actually rubbing in the garbage because the kind we're removing from bodies, typically you're going to escort it out in a different way, but it is so very important to, to make these analogies that, uh, will land. I've always been concerned when we do this show and and all all the things we do when we're out into the world communicating, we're not doing it to hear our own voices. It's really concerns is how do we make this communication, the experience that we've had as healers, as just humans on planet Earth, land for people to empower them to recognize that the power to heal is theirs. And and that always challenges us to find new ways to communicate it. Uh, Things that we might think would be great, they don't land properly. And we go back and we go, well, I I could do better. You're, You're absolutely right. It's interesting that you just said, though, about the smelling part. It just made me think one of the biggest problems that we had, because a lot of the IVs when patients are getting, they mm-hmm. use the bathrooms. Yeah. And our bathrooms have always been difficult to a get the smell out. Challenge, because it's so yes. much. Well, I mean, it's not just, it's not just normal. It's, sure. it's not a normal situation because these people are detoxing. And mm-hmm. it is like the urine smell is mm-hmm. so metallic. You sometimes yeah. feel like you're walking into a smeltering plant. There's so much metallic smell. Wow. And... And so there's, it's actually, you were saying it doesn't smell as bad. I was thinking, no, it actually smells really bad sometimes because of all the excretion that the people sure. doing. Even your sweat will start smelling um, foul. And not, not everybody's because mm-hmm. not everybody's as toxic. But to people that are really, really toxic, cancer patients especially, you will smell their sweat and their urine will have a very, very distinct smell to it. And as the body starts cleaning up, you'll start noticing a decreasing, a very mm-hmm. steadily diminishing uh, smell to their sweat, to the urine, to everything else. And that's basically because the body's eliminating the garbage. Yeah, I, I imagine uh, based on the stories of, of you know dogs, canines in particular, that they've been trained to smell cancer in patients that haven't been diagnosed yet by traditional allopathic means. And you talk about a sense of smell. Of course, when you when you gather it up and bring it out in mass, that's going to be something that even the human sinus cavity and all of its olfactory senses can engage in. You're absolutely right. That's another component. It's interesting you bring up about the smelling of the dogs. Mm-hmm. The, the smell centers of the dogs. Dogs can smell one part of urine per million parts of water. So their acuity, uh, for as far as smell, acuity is unbelievable. It's one of the greatest canines mm-hmm. have one of the greatest senses of smell of yes. all animals out there. And it probably comes from their ancestral background, wolves, coyotes, foxes, whatever, when they track their food. But We've actually done that. We've had, you know, my hobby is training German Shepherds and, and working with German Shepherds, breeding all black German Shepherds. I don't know if you've ever talked about that, but I've been doing that for... Well, yeah, we mentioned it over the years a little bit. I mean, it's a fascinating, okay. uh, uh, you know, sideline, but you enjoy that so much. I've seen you in your element there. It's pretty impressive. But, you know, the, it, by the way, for those of you at the FDA listening, he didn't say QT, He said acuity. Just you yeah. want to be sure you're hearing it right. <laughs> But the thing is that we actually have had dogs that have gone into service work in that arena. We've had dogs that have gone into being service dogs for diabetic ketoacidosis, for seizure, anti-seizure dogs. We've had two dogs trained now for cancer detection. And then we've had a lot of service dogs, just therapy, emotional um, stability, post-traumatic stress disorder, that type. But um, how amazing is it that a dog, it's not just their ability to pick up on certain smells, but their powers of perception are so much greater. Their hearing, we know that they can hear certain frequencies that we can't. But how does a dog know that a person is about to go into a, uh, into a seizure or into, mm-hmm. about to have a diabetic ketoacidotic episode? How does a dog know that? And they're, 
the trainers have trained them to act in a certain manner to warn the person that, hey, something's about to happen so they can get into a safe place, lay down so they don't fall, mm-hmm. you know, hit their head when they go into the seizure or whatever the case may be. It's amazing their powers of perception. And I think that humans have some of these components too because we see this when a person loses their sight, their hearing gets better or they become deaf, mm-hmm. um, their taste becomes better, or whatever. Or the, how the about, Dr. Batar, as you say this, I get this this you know visual, if you will, of, well, I, I actually experiential. Remember the doctors that I've worked with that are at that scale, or my mentor who had an acuity that you might say would rival somebody who would you consider like the world's best psychic, except he claimed he wasn't psychic when he looked at a person and, uh, and did a pulse diagnosis, for instance, like the, you know, the four-finger Chinese pulse diagnosis, and he, he would be telling patients things about their childhood. And you're thinking, how the hell do you know anything about that unless you're psychic? He's like, no, the body communicates in these ways. And it's developing a sense that we probably all have access to if we're willing to work. And, it, and sometimes it can take many years by the time you can be that good. And then it looks like magic to the person that's untrained. But the point is that we all have that ability. Yeah. And many people have been able to develop that ability to even greater um, to a greater height. But mm-hmm. It's amazing that if animals, we can see this animals having it. Well, it's not just animals. We are, in fact, humans are animals. Yeah, we are exactly. animals. And so I believe we have those same abilities. We just, because they've been dumbed down or because we are uh, we're not utilizing those senses, they've become atrophied. And I think that the power to heal as well is one of those types of things. We have so many things that we do to the body, and we don't get the garbage out of the body. We don't release the body of these toxins. And so the body has to now overcome all these additional components, not only the toxins or the nutritional deficiencies that it's dealing with, but now the drugs that are being put into it. So it's another Mm -hmm. burden that the body has to overcome. Whereas if you just get out of the way and pull some of the stuff out that the body shouldn't be dealing with, the results are nothing short of miraculous. In fact, they call it miraculous, but they're not really that miraculous because that's what the system is designed to do. It's kind of like somebody from uh, the caveman times coming into modern life and they see this hunk of steel and suddenly somebody puts a key into it and starts and it starts moving. They're like, oh my God, that's miraculous. Yeah. Well, they don't understand how combustion engine works, how the wheels are turned, etc., etc. That's really what the body's like. We are, mm-hmm. the things that are attributed to miraculous recoveries aren't really miraculous. The body is designed for that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the life is the miracle and every, you know, either everything's a miracle or nothing is, right? I like to, I like to say that as well. And also, you know, we talk about the toxicity and bringing the garbage out, the invisible toxins, you know, those are not necessarily the physical toxins that can be measured with sensitive instrumentation. But now we're talking emotional toxicity again, and even spiritual toxicity, all of these things. And so you can do everything perfect. This is another important point that Dr. Batari, you make consistently, and, and I love it because it's so important, that we can do everything right from a healing perspective when we talk about the human physiology and ignore or miss the emotional wounds that are carried forward that impact or sabotage the healing that would have happened? That is probably the most important aspect of healing, Robert. That's one reason the fifth toxicity, the emotional psychological basis of the toxicities of the seven toxicities that I talk about in my Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away book, that fifth toxicity, I believe, is the most crucial. It's hard to say which one is more important. You really can't say that one toxicity is more important sure. than the other one or lesser important. But when it comes to least understood mm-hmm. and most uh, ignored and perhaps the most crucial that should be taken care of because it's one of the underlying factors of all chronic disease, that's that fifth toxicity, the emotional psychological aspect. 
Will, will, you, will you, by the way, will you touch on that at all at Best Answer for Cancer, especially for a lay audience, although the doctors need to hear it too? Well, last time I spoke at the Best Answers for Cancer, which was a number of years ago, I actually talked uh, as a keynote speaker at their medical group, mm-hmm. at the medical part that, in front of the doctors. That's actually one of the things that I talked a lot about. And I was surprised that two other doctors actually, during their lectures, talked about this topic too. So, so it's out uh, there. If you think it's important, I'll definitely, I mean, I know it's we, important. We need but- to remind them. Hey, we need to remind everybody, we got to take a break. We're going to be back with Dr. Rajabhatari, Advanced Medicine, each and every week here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. We'll tell you how to listen after the fact as well. Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, upcoming events are in the show notes. RobertScottBell.com also links up to Dr. Rasha Bittar, Dr. Bittar, B-U-T-T-A-R.com. And, of course, uh, the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away and More. Remember, Best Answer for Cancer coming up, uh, I believe, the 26th, 27th, 28th, maybe even the 29th. I might hang out a little longer. But uh, looking forward to be there with you, Dr. Batar. To mention the uh, emotional toxicity, the other thing that you're going to be talking about, we mentioned, I think, last week about uh, the, the garlic, Gallison uh, stabilized garlic as a, uh, a method for doing so much. It's, it's an amazing remedy, and I just want to let people know, that especially the docs, you want to learn how to integrate this into best practices. This is something that will change your, your uh, patient population for the better. Yeah, we'll be talking about some studies that have been done and the, the key factors, what, what makes it effective versus many other versions that may be out there that aren't as effective and it's actually that stabilized component. But um, the emotional aspect, Robert, getting back to that for a second, uh, I do think it's something that's important to have patients reminded about. It's important for them to sometimes just have a little tap on the shoulder and and be reminded that how important that is. But, you know, the problem is that sometimes when you don't have enough time to cover everything in a detailed manner, Sometimes people think it's not as important because you weren't able to give them all the information they need. There's a lecture that I've given uh, a number of times now. I gave it to the OnDemed conference in New York a number of years ago and then um, have given it in a couple of different places in some different countries and actually was the basis for my uh, Build a Successful Life seminars that we used to do. And it basically talks about how we're all connected, and it uses the work of 14 different Nobel laureates using, using quantum physics principles. And you know, this is where we go into the zero-point aspect. In fact, if I had a goal in medicine of how I practice, it is to achieve zero-point, which is basically zero-point is defined as maximum output, think of a car engine, maximum output with minimal expenditure of energy. So you put in a drop of gasoline and you get a thousand miles out. That would be like zero point energy. So maximum output with minimal expenditure of energy. And that's really what we want with the human body. We want minimal expenditure of resources and energy and have the maximum output of energy and efficiency so that we are as close to zero point as possible. So zero point would really be defined as no, uh, no input 
and maximum output. Sure. That's like a holy grail uh, scenario, if you will. Uh, exactly. And this is, you know, this is a homeopathic principle as well, the law of the minimal dose. Uh, you know, the law of economy is another thing we talked about, getting the most out of every drop, out of every mile. And that's an efficiency that we see in the martial arts when they talk about movement. You know, nothing is wasted, right? And uh, we can do that in the healing uh, realm. But we've, we've got a long way to go because the experts don't even know what they're doing. As evidenced by this story here, Dr. Batar, diabetes is on the rise in American kids and experts don't know why. Well, why are they calling them experts then? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, this is something that a first-year medical student should be able to answer. Uh, generally speaking, and I mean, just to connect the dots, the obvious dots, when somebody's diabetic, they're usually insulin-resistant. If they're insulin-resistant, that means that they're going to be, they're going to have more accumulation of body fat because the insulin resistance is what's normally associated with uh that's why they call it non-insulin-dependent diabetes. Their their cell membranes are resistant to the effects of insulin, so it can't drive the sugar into the cell. So it stays outside of the cells in the vascular tree. So mm-hmm. basically, when you measure the blood, their blood levels of glucose are high, and that's what we define as diabetes. In fact, in the olden days, they used to smell, they used to taste. I'm sorry, not smell, but taste the urine. Right. And if it tasted sweet, then they knew that the person was diabetic. So it's basically a chronic uh, lack of utilization of sugar or proper utilization of sugar right. doesn't get into the cells, and so the cells go into this um, this problematic state sure. that we call diabetes. And so that's that usually leads to a person become obese. Why do they become obese? Now this is you know we're going to get into some nuances between insulin resistance and I mean uh, I'm sorry for insulin dependent diabetes and non insulin dependent diabetes. But typical people that are diagnosed as non-insulin-dependent diabetes, which normally is, you know, onset of age 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. They're usually obese uh, or at least they're overweight. Um, they're usually sedentary, et cetera, et cetera. You mm-hmm. make them more insulin-sensitive by changing their diet, by exercising, and it starts to all of a sudden um, the cell membranes change their sensitivity. You can do this with, for example, fish oils will make the cell membrane more sensitive, allow sure. the insulin not to push the sugar back into the cells. The cells can now start to utilize that sugar, i.e. fuel, mm-hmm. and the person starts having more energy. Now they can actually get up and they can move and they can be active. Amazing. Now- yeah, that's why you hear better diet and exercise. Wow, they've reversed their problem. Listen, we got to take a break. Dr. Batar and I will continue advanced medicine here on the Robert Scott Bell Show after this. Robert Scott Belshaw. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Often overlooked, but never on this show, uh, is uh, mineral deficiencies as it associates with metabolic uh, imbalances, insufficiency, etc. And, of course, we don't look for the next drug to cure a disease. We look at what's really missing or what's in the body in excess, right? And I don't know. Sometimes you go, you experts that don't know what you're doing probably are looking maybe too complicated at the situation. Well, this uh, chromium issue that you brought up with diabetes, that's a perfect example of what you're talking about, but it's, minerals are very crucial for all metabolic pathways. They act as endometrial factors and as catalysts in many different reactions. 
So it's not just the chromium here, though. I think that the general term we should talk about is minerals, and even more general, we should say it's a nutritional deficiency. I, I bring it into that nutri nutritional deficiency category because it's part of our nutrient loss because of the, the lack of nutrients in our current food supply. So when you start looking at diabetes and you start looking at diabetics, you'll start looking at the types of foods that they're eating and yes, they are the minerals aren't lacking. even there. They're not even exactly, there. Exactly. Exactly. No. They're lacking those minerals. They're lacking mm -hmm. the, all the nutritional basis of what food should really have a minimal criteria to be called food and many of these <laughs> things don't have any of those things. So, you know, the chromium aspect that you're bringing up, but when you start talking about diabetes again in this particular situation because you made a very interesting comment, you said why are these people called the experts? I don't understand why they – let me just read this uh, title again. Mm -hmm. so the title says, experts – diabetes is on the rise in American kids, and experts don't know why. So this is – could this just be that the media is, again, their spin on it? Because how can you say experts don't know why when, when a person off the streets should know why? <laughs> well, so I don't I, understand that. There's definitely an agenda here because who are their experts that the media goes to? Those who have official status. Our good friend Liam that passed away talked about this, official stories protecting officials. Who are the officials in this case? Well, Big Pharma. They obviously profit off of the growth of diabetes and obesity, et cetera. I mean, that's, the money is in the medicine and the sickness. And so if the advertising is supporting the, the focus, they're going to say, well, the experts don't know, but they're the experts. Even though the, the person, if they step back from that, will go, well, how come these people are being called experts? And then, of course, the jig is up. Exactly. That, I totally agree with you. <laughs> um, but on, on a different side, though, Robert, think mm -hmm. about this. Do you think that those so-called experts truly do know, but their answer is we don't know, or they're, again, part of the act, part of the misleading is to say we don't know? I, well, I how think, could they not know? I, yeah, I think those with the, the pharmaceutical horse blinders on just without fail, maybe they don't know because they've convinced themselves that it's not possible to know. But I would argue that, just as you're in, intimating, that they probably do know. But, of course, it would not be profitable for them as doctors exactly. who live on prescriptions as opposed to genuine changes in diet that bring the minerals back in, that reverse the thing, and then, boy, we're not needed anymore in the same way. Well, that's what, where I was going with this, that I believe they did, do know, but they want to mislead, mm -hmm. and this becomes more, uh, perhaps you're right, it's because of the profit motive, but perhaps it's actually even more sinister than that, that there's a different agenda at sure. play here. Because for them to say, the media to say they don't know, that's probably the most interesting thing about this story, because everything else is like, <laughs> tell me something I yeah, don't yeah. know. Exactly. But, you know, diabetes is a rise in American kids, and experts don't know why. What average individual that understands physiology would not know any any of these people that buy their um even even the fitness instructors that don't have any credentials even the people that go on the internet and buy their personal trainer certificates for fifty dollars they know the answer to this right. question do they really not and know it, probably not and, yeah. and i'm not insulting anybody like that i'm just saying that many good personal trainers out there may not have any certification but my point is everybody knows this you don't have to be next you don't have to be a doctor you don't have to be an expert everybody knows this so mm -hmm. there is a different agenda and that's where i wanted to go with this that i think that there's mm -hmm. an immediate spin on it too i think that there's Absolutely. something else that they want to promote and i don't think it's as simple as money mm -hmm. and power i think it's something 
darker there yeah yeah we and we've gone there folks we're not afraid to if you want us to do that send us a question comment leave us a message 866-939-BELL 866-939-2355 or go to robertscottbell.com you can leave a question or comment and if we get it in advance of the show uh dr batar and i will answer it all right now here's another interesting thing about experts there's a new cdc research uh, study that apparently debunks the agency's assertion that mercury in vaccines is safe did you see this yeah this is a big one this is something that's Again, how much is the media going to talk about this? And look, we've got no mention of Fox or CBS or NBCS. This is in greenmedinfo.com. Mm-hmm. Why, isn't, why isn't big media picking up on this? Yeah, no, this is huge info. This is suddenly, you know, groundbreaking, earth-changing, earth-shattering for the establishment that has claimed a long time now that, oh, and the mercury vaccines, it, it couldn't possibly be the problem. And, of course, it's a CDC research study, apparently, that's showing it. And yet, where's the media covering this issue? And I think this was actually written, wasn't this written by Kennedy? Uh, I think originally published on Echo Watch, yeah. So uh, Kennedy may have had something to do with this. But, uh, you know, he's uh, with the World Mercury Project has been working intensively on this. So, yeah, also with Lynn Redwood. So, yes. Yeah, this is, uh, this is something that, again, many, many people uh, feel that the controversy, what they call the controversy, is over or that the, arg- the, 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 the this argument is not an argument and there's no proof of vaccines having any injury potential to patients or that there's no issue with the mercury in the vaccines. And I hear this, I just heard this uh, a couple of weeks ago in a, with a group of doctors saying, well, that controversy was put to rest years ago. Like, where are you people getting your information from? How can you say that it's been put to rest when the newest data is still coming out? Yeah. Yeah, it, indeed, it just defies any, any form of logic. But, uh, you know, one of the problems is we've seen with medical education, uh, you would think it would be rooted in logic as well. But when it comes to, you know, issues like mercury that threaten, uh, you know, entire industries, logic is thrown out the window. And then, you know, threats of loss of income, loss of job, loss of status, all of these things have been very powerful uh, in the ability to take people that are capable of knowing the truth. Uh, and then making it, making sure that they don't act on that truth. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that's that's part of their probably the modus operandi. This is exactly Absolutely. how they operate. Yeah. yeah. We had a couple other stories related to toxins from heavy metals like mercury is as dangerous as they come to uh, flame retardants in furniture, increasing thyroid cancer, as well as exposures to pesticides may increase risk of liver cancer. We might call those moments of dub, but we recognize there are still people coming into the fold to recognize that even at low levels, things like formaldehyde and pesticide residues do have a negative impact on metabolic functions, endocrine production, neurotransmitters, pathways, neural integrity, etc., and, of course, the creation of cancer. And with that, the question would be, Dr. Batar, I've had some doctors, friends of ours, uh, even ask about your perspective on uh, one particular form of cancer. And is there a, a distinguishable protocol or series of protocols that you have to resort to or do differently in a cancer that might be defined as a lymphoma? Well, I think the first thing is these different types of cancers, we need to kind of talk about what the difference in the cancers and the major types of differences in the cancers are. So you've got solid tumors that everybody understands versus, say, like the leukemias, which is essentially a, a blood disorder, a blood dyscrasia, versus um, um, like lymphoma, for example. Lymphoma is not considered to be a solid tumor. Lymphoma is actually a cancer of the lymph node, so it can actually be in many different places and has 
manifestations of solid tumors, but they're not solid tumors per se. They're, there's a cancer of the lymph nodes. Lymphoma is an unusual type of cancer in the sense that um, I believe that all cancers have certain key commonalities. And when you look at pancreatic cancer and lymphoma, the unique components of pancreatic cancer and lymphomas to me are that all cancer patients, no matter what kind of cancer, they have a uh, marked insufficiency of pancreatic enzymes, mm -hmm. which can be measured, which we use a number of different devices to measure. Uh, and the other is that they have a stagnation of the lymph system. Right. So either... You've got first pancreatic and lymph lymphatic cancer or lymph lymphoma. Those are considered to be two distinct types of cancers with all these other cancers. But with all cancers, you see pancreas involvement and lymph, and lymph involvement. So really, I believe that the pancreatic cancers and the lymphomas are unique in that sense, that they're, they're, they're really like the ABCs of all cancers. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely it does. And, and would this the same be with animals? A, lymph, a lymphoma in an animal would have a similar etiology. Absolutely. No, no difference. The higher mammalian species, their anatomical and physiological parameters essentially work completely the same. Yeah, and of course, a, a wrong diet in an animal is as devastating to that animal, maybe more so with what they've done with mass production of, of uh, you know, dog foods and cat foods and things like that and where they're sourcing it as it is with uh, uh, humans. Humans, of course, in theory, have a longer lifespan, typically, uh, than most animals. And, of course, their generational decline we've seen over the years due to uh, increased use of vaccines, reliance like we've seen in, in, in the humans and in, in kids that are being hammered this way. So there's a lot of uh, commonality, we should say. I, I can tell you a really interesting story that just happened. You know, when you asked me before the show, is there any new stories we want to talk about, anything? Mm -hmm. You always ask me that, and usually I have something, if I have something that I think is pertinent, but, and I told you today I didn't, but actually now that you bring this up, i got a really interesting story to tell you. Do we have enough time before commercial? A couple of minutes before break, yes. All right, so let me tell you, this uh, really interesting thing happened. Uh, my wife was concerned about my neck because I kind of strained at doing some pull-ups and stuff, and anyway, so we've been going to a massage therapist who's very good, mm -hmm. and it was interesting that while she's giving me this massage, she tells me about her dog, who I happen to see outside, and was telling me all these medical problems that this dog has. She knows I'm a doctor. My wife had mentioned that, you know, we do a lot of stuff with dogs, and she had suggested to her maybe talk to my husband because she was also doing massage therapy with my wife earlier on. And so, long story short, this lady's telling me about how this dog's got all these joint problems. The dog's eight or nine years old. They've got her on this medicine and that medicine. They're not scheduling her for x-rays. And, you know, it's like another $800 worth of x-rays. And then they were thinking about doing the surgery and this and that. And she goes, I know you're not a veterinarian, but I was just wondering, you know, is there anything that you would recommend? And, again, for anybody out there that might be listening, the FDA, you know, <laughs> I wasn't treating this dog because I didn't have consent. So, yes, yes. Um, but I told her, I said, listen, I would save that money. Mm -hmm. I said, if you really want to burn through the money, you can give me a couple hundred dollars. Or, you know, you can put this massage on uh, uh, as a complimentary massage if you really want to burn your money. But I, and not that I wanted the massage complimentary, but sure. I was saying, save your money, put the dog on a raw diet, mm -hmm. and then see what happens. Because you know what? If it doesn't work and you really feel compelled in three or four weeks or a month or two, go ahead and then do the x-rays and put them on this other medicine. But... I, I really don't think this is the problem. Right. I was just I thinking, in, Dr. Vitaris, we're up on a break here. How often dogs sit around the campfire and cook their food that they eat, right, that they've just yeah, caught? exactly. Silly. Exactly. But we got to take a break. We're, let's talk a little bit more about this fascinating discussion here on advanced medicine as we've uh, transcended into lymphoma and, of course, animal health. And uh, we'll be right back. 
Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Hey, remind me, Dr. Batar, if I ever run across a bunch of dogs at a campfire cooking their food, uh, you know, I sh- I'll take a picture and report on it, but I just don't, it hadn't happened yet. Well, if you do see that, they're probably killed a human they're cooking the flesh to make sure that they <laughs> out whatever's in the human flesh yeah i could see a gary larson far side cartoon come out of that yeah, one for exactly sure. yeah, i was thinking the same thing exactly i was so, thinking the exact same thing so yeah when you talk about uh, if you want to blow your money on a bunch of th- and now we're not saying never take your doctor to the your dog to the vet that's not what we're saying but uh, never take your doctor to the vet right maybe maybe that too but the, the vets that we talk about that get this also say Primarily, their diet is number one, and they won't put them on, you know, cooked, processed, dare I say, mass manufactured pet foods. Uh, That's just not what they're designed to eat. Well, I will sometimes put a dog on one of these kibbles, but it's very rare, and it's for a very specific reason if I do do that. Uh But I have so many people that have gotten dogs from us over the years, and we have dogs in. We have dogs all over the world. We have the, my, one of my dogs just made the Holland national team. Um, so we we know how to deal with high level performance dogs. These are protection, obedience, tracking. The military purchases dogs from us. Um, law enforcement purchases dogs from us. But the point is that the performance of these dogs is very important. And so we understand performance oriented dogs. We're not dealing with poodles or you know, chihuahuas that are sitting in people's laps and, and just yapping. We're talking about dogs that are actually working dogs. So this lady, um, the, uh, just to go back to the story, the massage therapist, two weeks later, I come back in there. She starts my massage, and we're talking. I didn't. I totally forgot about the dog, and she says, oh, by the way, did you see my dog? And uh, I said, I didn't notice. She says, she's totally a different dog. She goes, I've just, in two weeks, this dog was on a raw diet, no more joint problems, and I asked her, I said, did you put her on anything? She said, I, I had her on chondroitin before. It wasn't really doing anything, but now I've got her on the raw meat, uh, on the raw diet. Mm-hmm. And not, I'm, not, I'm not promoting a raw diet, but for dogs, I'm promoting a raw diet. Yes. Right. I'm, I do believe that if we eat our food as close to raw as possible, that doesn't mean that you go out and eat your meat raw. That's not what I'm saying, although carpaccio is pretty awesome. But the point being that if you eat foods that haven't been altered, and they're as raw, close to raw as possible. Their enzymes and their nutrients are mm-hmm. still intact. You haven't denatured them with the heat. That's one reason even when you look at supplements, if you get normal supplements are extracted using either chemical or heat extraction methodologies. If you get cold extracted uh, supplements that have been utilizing the cold extraction methodology, the potency and the effectiveness will be far superior than anything that's chemically or heat extracted. The problem is it's a lot more expensive to cold extract, so that's one reason most companies will use heat extraction mm-hmm. or, or uh, chemical extraction and renders most of the potency uh, null and void. What would you say, point, Dr. Batar, uh, as far as a typical Westerner, would do better having a little bit more or a lot more raw food in their diet as opposed to having more cooked food in their diet? Without a doubt. Yeah. Absolutely without a doubt. I, I'm a person that when I eat my meat, I don't like it ro- uh, rare, mm-hmm. bleeding like most people do. Okay, I kind of like it pink or maybe in a medium. 
maybe a little, a little bit more done than that. But that's not necessarily what I'm talking about, how you cook your steak. Sure. When we talk about raw, we're talking about more fruits, more vegetables, mm-hmm. more legumes. And then if you are going to have um, meats, then having meats that are not like the bolognese and the, the hot dogs meats, that have right. been... Exactly, exactly. Something that's a fresh cut of meat, or if it's not fresh, if it's aged sure. meat, whatever it is, that's fine, venison. But it's not processed and nitrates have been you know, put in with it and they've got meat casings around it and this mm-hmm. and that and all the other garbage that they put in it. Well, and one of the things, we, we always talk about bio-individuality and specificity of diet. Again, we come back, the starting point is, you know, it's got to be clean. That means not loaded with toxic uh, nasties. We've even talked about some of them today on the air. And, and yet uh, the psychi- psychiatric profession is trying to claim that people who want to eat clean foods have a mental disorder of some kind. And I say the people that insist that eating pesticide, heavy metal-laden foods are safe have a mental disorder. Order. Yeah, I totally agree with you there, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's, look, let's put a little perspective on those so-called experts. Uh, they've gone a little bonkers. Hey, we're we're almost out of time here, Dr. Batar. I just want to, again, uh, invite everybody. I'm going to be up in Toronto. I wish Dr. Batar would be up there with us as well. Uh, Ty Bollinger will be there. We're going to have a great time. And uh, the following week, we'll be in San Diego together at the Best Answer for Cancer, along with Dr. Tony Jimenez and others. And I certainly hope everybody's planning to be there. The doctors, you're out there, you'll get CME credits. Uh, our lay audience, we have a, the two tracks. We'll be in both of them. And uh, come out and see us. And Dr. Batar, with that, uh, just let them know what they need to know. That the power to heal is unequivocally yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.